Well, uh, some of you may have heard this before, but uh, we, we had some trouble with our youngest child. He's 16 now. We had some trouble with him as a baby, and, and there were some really vulnerable times. And we're not going to get into all that this morning, but I was thinking of, of a time when um, my faith was really shaken. I was at Vanderbilt Hospital, and uh, the Children's Hospital, that was a the year they opened, so we weren't quite there yet. And I discovered a theological truth from an unexpected source. Our neurologist came by, and um, he was talking with us and about the, the medical uh, prognosis and so forth. And then um, he discovered we were pastors, and he was a Christian, and he shared a little bit about his faith. And he said something. He said, you know, when I first became a Christian, it was like miracle after miracle after miracle. Like every time I turned around, something miraculous was happening. And I was like, I thought, this is so great. He said, but then the miracles slowed down. And they still occur, but not as much. And now my faith is actually real. Now, I thought about that because I was in my late 20s at the time. And uh, not really a whole lot uh, of bad things had happened in my life. Here and there, some challenging things have happened. But, you know, you're pretty shallow until you've gone through something really tough. And you can't really pastor people if your life is perfect all the time. And so it is that the God of the miraculous is here for us. But we're okay even when we don't get the miracle today. And, okay, that, that's, that, that's how life works. And, and we can just sit here in this moment and say, thank you, Lord, that we're in your hands. So the passage today is going to help us because it starts off with the miraculous and then Jesus gives a different perspective. And this is the last week of our Awaken Nashville sermon series. And today's message is awaken us to your perspective for us. Like, let us see your perspective. And I hope God's been doing great things for you during this period of prayer and fasting and sanctification and consecration. And he has done great things and he will do great things. That's who our God is. But part of being a long-term disciple of Jesus is understanding the rhythm of faith and trust, of reveling in the miracle and trusting in the adversity. So the miraculous starts off right away. The disciples have what we're going to call, if you're taking notes, the success perspective. And this is kind of like my neurologist so 16 years ago. We, we start off with the faith and it's like, yeah, Jesus, everything is good. Life is not in black and white anymore. It's in color. And we, we, we need that initial love, that infatuation, because it produces love within us that will sustain us. It's part of also just our, our eyes um, seeing the goodness of God instead of seeing the judgment of God. And as, as believers, we see the goodness of God in our lives on perspective. So in verse 17, we see this. The 72 returned with joy, saying this, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Well, we don't know the tone of voice they used, but let's just, let's just read into this on our own. Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. I mean, this is like victory. This is joy. This is like 
like little kids with power tools now. We've been following you, but you've sent us out and great things are happening. And, and you may be in that phase of your Christian walk, or you may have experienced that before where it's like everyone you witness to gets saved and they're receptive to the gospel. And every time you pray with someone, someone's healed. And every time you have a Bible study, it's new revelation. And it's like, this is awesome. And I say to you, that's a great place to be. And I would even suggest we have different phases where that's renewed in our lives. It's called revival. Revival is to revive. Vive means life, to bring back to life. So one of my favorite commercials all of all time reminds me of, of what happened in verse, verse 17. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. can't we relate spiritually, huh? And and I I see the smile of the Lord upon us as we experiment with his power and we experiment with spiritual practices and our immaturity comes forward. And, you know, there's all types of things that, that are happening. Jesus here was excited about the gospel being proclaimed, about the kingdom coming. He, he's excited that the demons have submitted to the 72. In fact, he's the one who sent them, right? So why wouldn't he be excited? See, there had been weeks of tensions and misunderstandings, and now the true joy of walking with the Lord is this, is seeing the dominion of Satan exposed, reduced, and eliminated from people's lives. Early on as a senior pastor, uh, when I was a senior pastor, I guess I still am, thank you, but uh, early on in my ministry, I uh, had one of those Sundays that just everything was up, man. Everything was up, up and to the right. Every factor we considered, including the joy of the people. It was just a good Sunday. And I was talking to one of my pastors that night, and I was excited. But I knew that, you know, humble people get opposed by God, right? You don't want to have the big head. So I'm telling him the data. I'm telling him the information, but I'm being real pious about it. I'm like, but I understand that that um, this is just one Sunday. And he told me, he said, Aaron, listen to me. He said, suck all of the joy out of the fruit of that Sunday because tough Sundays are on their way. Well, I didn't want to hear that. But it allows us to understand celebration has an important role in our lives. We need to celebrate. Now, within the celebration, there's boundaries, and we'll get into that as this teaching unfolds. But celebrating is is part of us being human and it's part of us 
being fully alive. And so we wanted to appropriately have joy when the kingdom of God is advanced uh, through the commissioning of Jesus. Uh, often the greatest joy comes when we're pleasantly surprised, you know, when the expectations are low and expectations are exceeded. I mean, we may not know our own talent. We may not know our own skill, but then it happens. The breakthrough, the discovery, the accomplishments, all of these things occur. And at that time, let's be people full of joy. But I think it will help us if uh, we're more surprised about our success than our friends are. <laughs> if, if we're cocky, if we're arrogant, then we fall into a place we shouldn't be. Well, the 72 return they have great stories to tell. They're excited that they have power over demons. And so was Jesus. But then Jesus was like a, a good coach. Now, guys, I watch a lot of sports, more than I want you to know. You know, I'm trying to, you know, sports is an idol. I preach that. But, uh, but I watch a lot of it. And, I, and, and now I really follow coaching a lot. I read a lot of biographies about coaches, and, and I follow current coaches. So I've noticed this about coaches after a win, it's like an emotional release in, in these coaches, and there's a lot of uh, factors and psychology behind that. But if you start noticing, they almost all say the same thing now when they're interviewed by the reporter. Um, they'll ask him, how does this feel? Or what emotions are you experiencing now? Or what does this mean to your team? And the coaches say this, well, we're going to celebrate tonight. Then tomorrow we're going to get back to work. I mean, you almost hear that universally in every sport. And it it speaks, you know, to skills of leadership and, and also the understanding that if you celebrate too long, celebration's important, but if you celebrate too long, you don't get on to the objectives that the organization, the team, the family, the church has. And so Jesus here is like a wise, sage, mentor, coach. He created all those anyway, so he can be anything he wants. And, and he rejoices, but he tempers the euphoria, and now we move into the second perspective I see in this passage, the gospel perspective. Write it down. The gospel perspective. And, and Jesus kind of takes the excitement of the, of the disciples, the 72 who have, who have um, ministered and have subjected demonic powers to them. And he's like, okay, I'm excited for you, but come on, let's get back to work now. Let me talk to you a second. Um, let, let me put this in the good news perspective or the gospel perspective. And this first phrase is very interesting. Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now this is one of those phrases that the theologians can kind of debate and we all kind of get a perspective on this according to our first read. And so kind of the question before us, was he talking about seeing Satan in the past was he talking about seeing Satan in the present? Was he talking about seeing Satan in the future? Well, I'm going to say yes, yes, and yes, because they're all really good perspectives. Now, the first perspective a lot of us may have had was Jesus saying, I saw Satan at the beginning uh, when he fell from heaven. And while that's, that may be accurate... It's somewhat of a, of a connection to a scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. In your notes, it says verse 2, and that was my mistake. 
and also a new version, but it's verse 12. He says, shining morning star, how you have fallen from heavens, you destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. Now, this contextually was actually talking about a physical king, a specific king. But some of the language of it gives us kind of a double meaning, two meanings to it. So I think that Jesus obviously used this language Jesus knew Isaiah. I mean, he lived in Isaiah. He was in the synagogue in these scrolls. So I think it is fair to say, okay, that is one very valid interpretation. He said, I saw Satan fall back when he was in heaven from the ground, but I just wanted you at least to have some context for Isaiah 14. I think another equally valid and one that kind of energizes me and, and, and really kind of my preference as of today is this idea that Jesus says, while you were out subjecting the demons to my name, I saw Satan falling from heaven. Like I saw like God's purposes accomplishing. I saw his dominion in the heavenlies coming down. And I think that's a, a powerful expression of this verse. In fact, here's a paraphrase. I found this in a commentary. I started it, then I rewrote it. So I don't know who gets the credit for this, but I still like it. Uh, Jesus is saying this. We could, we could say a paraphrase. He said, I followed you, this is Jesus talking, on your mission. I watched its triumphs. And while you were amazed at the demon submitting to you in my name, a grander spectacle was opening to my view. Suddenly, as the darting of light, lightning from heaven to earth, Satan was falling from heaven. I think that's a beautiful picture of like, as we do his work, as we show his love, as we show his power, as we spread the gospel, Satan and his authority, his dominion is falling and falling and falling because we are sent ones. We are ones who are sent by Jesus to do the work of Jesus. And when we do the work of Jesus, oh, then it's incredible what occurs. But we also know that the fall of Satan is still in the future. There will come a day when Satan will have no temporary authority on earth, where Lucifer will have no foothold in the kingdom of the earth because it will belong to the one and only true God. And Revelations 12, seven through nine says this revelation. It says, the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought. I love this scripture in verse eight, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for, for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and the angels with him. This is this idea of, of this huge picture that we don't always see because we just see in the now and the, the, the cosmic kind of conflict between forces of darkness and the kingdom of heaven. And we're in the middle of seeing this come to pass. And the future is very, very clear that the future is Satan will be defeated and we will be part of the kingdom that Jesus is the ruler, the one who reigns and the one who gets all glory and honor and praise. Now going on to verse 19, it says this, Jesus reminds them, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, nothing at all will harm you. Oh, that's a, that's a scripture, if it stood alone, we may be foolish enough and immature enough, in my perspective, to, 
to say, oh, yeah, let the scorpion come here. Or Who, who's scared of a snake? I, don't, I know Jesus didn't mean that. Snakes and scorpions uh, were signs of that which was dark, that which was evil, that which was not submitted to the will of God. And so we might see that scripture and not understanding the full counsel of God, think we're going to live this harmless life. Nothing's ever going to harm us. We're like, we're like people with superpowers, right? See, you know, Avengers always comes back in my sermons. I know you people, Avengers is in your heart. You love it, you know? You want the superpowers of all those crazy characters that I can't name. I, listen, I'm not, I'm not really connected to Avengers. I, I, I have fallen asleep in every Avenger movie. I go with my family because I love them, and I actually fall asleep with all that computer-generated stuff. It's the best $11 nap I get, you know, every three months. Uh, but I'm a more of a low-tech guy. I'm really a low-tech guy, so I can't connect with the Avengers. But in, the, you know, in my childhood, there was a video game that still holds powerful illustrations, and that was Mrs. Pac-Man, right? And you think that, that, you think that the, the computer-generated stuff was, is good now. Remember this here? Yeah, baby. This is, this is what it's all about. And Miss Pac-Man takes her girl powers. And look, she's vulnerable, but all of a sudden, as she, as she works around, she's going to look for the power pellet. Will she get it? The enemies are coming. Here's the power pellet. And boom, nothing can stop her now, right? As they get there, you see 200 points. Give me 400 points. Yeah, another 200 points. So that's what Miss Pac-Man does. Now... I didn't see this whole video. So a lot of us, we look at like a scripture like verse 19, and, and we, think that, we, we think that this scripture is like our own power pellet. Like, Jesus on my side, nothing's going to harm me. Bring on the snakes, bring on the scorpions. No harm is going to come to me. And so when you sprain your ankle or you're wearing flip-flops on a mission trip and you stub your toe, because it's never God's will to wear flip-flops on a mission trip. It just isn't. I mean, you're going to cut your feet. You're going to stub your toe. Hey, it ain't Jesus' fault that you don't wear shoes and socks. But we, we treat that scripture like it's power pellets or it's superpowers. But I want to suggest to you today that this promise was for those who were sent on mission. It's not for us to be these people who try to control our environment by saying, nothing can harm me, nothing can harm. Jesus says, I'm gonna send you, and when I send you on a mission, and when I've initiated it, and when you're representing my name, you have this promise that the forces of evil will not overcome you. Uh, scorpions and snakes have nothing on you. We are sent ones by God. We don't control God, we submit to God. And we submit to his sending, and when we go in his name and he sends us in his name, there is a protection and there is a life to it. Now we go to verse 20. So now this is an important kind of part of our Christian psyche. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now this is the only time, and we're just going to hang out there with the beginning of verse 20. This is the only recorded time that Jesus told his people not to rejoice. Again, he's mentoring, he's coaching, he's training them. And he's just saying, in comparison to your salvation, don't, don't rejoice just because you've had success in ministry. 
Don't, don't rejoice just because you're kind of temporarily energized by really what I've done, not what you've done. But always remember that the joy of your salvation, like God choosing you, God giving you salvation, God initiating salvation, this is, this is what we should rejoice in. You know, I always found it strange. I, I know not all of you have a, a charismatic background or Pentecostal background, but, uh, you know, growing up a charismatic, th- there were times when, when demonic, I know this is going to make people feel weird, but demonic forces would manifest. It always felt weird. Like, people got so excited about that. I thought that was so weird. Like, there's a demon here. Woohoo! Yeah! I mean, doesn't it feel weird? And it's like, don't rejoice over that. That's like a bad thing. Like, if someone's, if someone's being affected by a demon, that's a bad thing. We shouldn't, like, have an adrenaline rush because of that. We should just go pray for them and move on. I know not all of you can relate to that, but it was just right there in the text, so I decided to take it. Don't rejoice over the power. Don't rejoice over the success. Rejoice in who you are in Christ. Rejoice and, and continue as we open up today with, with a song of our faith and talking about he saved me. Grace saved me. I, I'm saved because of what he's done for me. See, our work might not always be successful. God might send us on a, an assignment where we receive rejection, where we receive um, hearts that are turned away from the Lord. But our salvation never changes. The essence of who we are never changes. So verse 21, he says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Man, there's all types of things we could talk about here, but one of the, one of the understandings that, that I want you to, to realize, one of the reasons I said Jesus was rejoicing is the context of this language when it says, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit says, I praise you, God, it means he burst forth in like a spontaneous demonstration of worship. He was like, this is great. God, I praise you that you've revealed yourself to the simple people. You've revealed yourself not to the trained theologians, not to the professional Christians. You've not revealed yourself to those with the right family bloodline. You've revealed yourself to the simple ones. You've revealed yourself to the children. You've revealed yourself to the overlooked ones. And this is part of God's joy. And God, part of God's joy is, is seeing his work established. And some of the things that make us excited, Jesus says, don't emphasize that much, as much as don't find your joy that, that 30 people came to the women's Bible study. Find your joy that God actually moved with the five that were there. I mean, listen, I get excited with numbers too. Don't think I'm not beyond this stuff, guys. But I'm just saying that, that we have to look bigger than that or maybe look deeper than that to, to see the kingdom at work within us. He says this, this is an interesting phrase. And he says that, um, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Where is that? Y'all following the scriptures with me? Where is that? Verse 20, thank you. Back in verse 20, thank you. Rejoice that your names were written in heaven. This is the idea that your name has been written as a legal document in heaven. 
This would apply to marriages. This would apply to permanent um, uh, land transactions. This would apply to peace treaties. Your name is established. Your name is written in heaven. Your name is there. This is what God is saying. It is written. It is spoken. We were watching this weekend for the first time, The Mandalorian, and there was this character that after um, they said something profound and wanted to end the conversation would say, I have spoken. And Beth said, you know, I'm going to start using that. (laughs) I have spoken. This idea is, this idea that God has spoken and he's put it, he's put your name in a book. Philippians, go to Philippians chapter four, verse three. It says, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. Isn't that wonderful to know that's what our faith is, that our names are written, our names are in. Our names are in the book of life. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 through 15. You can read that on your own, but that talks about at the end of time, those of us whose names are written in the book of life belong to the Lord, and those who don't, there's prepared for them destruction that's unspeakable in the lake of fire. And so this is something great that we can be among those people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Years ago, when I was a pastor in Frisco, Texas, I was an associate pastor there. We were all a bunch of young guys and um, with kids and all the pastors in the city decided, let's get together and pray. So the only time we could figure out to pray was like nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. It was crazy. So it was really odd if you've never prayed with a group of different pastors. Everyone has their different styles and all their different styles are, are, are coming forth. Well, there's one guy that I respect that I'd never heard him pray before. He started like telling God a story. Have you ever heard those kind of prayers? And he started off like this. He said, God, you know, today I'm tired. And um, I visited Frank who has cancer and I found out that another marriage is ending. And God, you know, the Johnson's family business is near bankrupt. He, He starts telling like about his church and we're like, where is this guy going? And then he said something I'll never forget because it was just so unusual and so unusual. And he, he went, grandpa. And when he said that, my head went up and some other friends head went up. We looked at each other. He goes, grandpa, you're writing the story, but I don't like how the story's going today. It was one of the strangest prayers I've ever heard. In fact, as I told that story over the years, I started embellishing it and saying, he started saying, grandpappy or pappy. But beyond the oddness of that, it, it speaks to this idea that God has a story and we're in the middle of the story. And I've heard this taught in many different ways. That's my last point today is a story perspective. The story perspective. Like we're in the middle of a story, guys. We're living out a story and we're one part of the story. Now I understand what Wayne meant all those years ago when he said, you know, the story, I don't like the way it's going today, God, but Abba, Father, or affectionately, he's saying, Grandfather, I trust you. I trust you regardless of me not liking the story. And so that's the last point today, the story perspective. And verse 23 says, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, 
but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus told his disciples that that day they were living in a time of unprecedented privilege. And I want you to know, guys, you're living in a time of privilege where you have access to the Holy Spirit anytime, any place. You don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go to the Holy of Holies. You don't have to hope someone reads from the scribe where you need to hear that day because you have the Word of God. You have the Bible with you all times. That is even on our phones. It's with us at all times, all places. We can access God's Word in our language, in our context. This is a time of great privilege. I want you to think about this. You know more about the story of God than anyone who lived in the Old Testament. Like, you know more about the story of God than Abraham knew, more than Adam or Noah or Jacob or Moses or Isaiah. This, the Old Testament was this era of expectation, but we are living in the era of incarnation. And this is the perspective God wants us to have, that he knows exactly where we are, what we need. He's unfolding his will and his purpose for this world, and we get to be a part of it. This is what we're asking God to awaken. Awaken the right perspective. We're in your story, God. It's a gospel perspective. The gospel is more powerful than whatever story you have. Listen, I know I don't, I'm not minimizing your story. Like, I, I know I don't know the details. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the depth. I don't know the gravity. I don't know the challenge. And it would just be immature of me. And it would be uncompassionate of me to just belittle your story. But all I know is there is a greater story. It's the story of God redeeming this world, of God subjecting the power of Satan, because Satan, he has fallen in the past, he has he will fall in the future, and he has fallen now. Every time we lift up the name of Jesus, it's like lightning. His kingdom falls. His, his stronghold falls. His power falls. And you and I get to live out that story in just, just our relationship with the Lord. Let's stand together. So, Father, we thank you for an awakening. God, I thank you that as uh, we've ended this time, I know some of you, this time of consecration, some of you have amazing stories of what God has done as you fasted and prayed, stories that we're still discovering. Some of you, maybe it's just been a gentle time. You don't have anything spectacular, but Jesus has been right there with you. Some of you, maybe it's a faithful time, that you've just been faithful to do your do your devotions and just cooperate with the movement of God, but it's your story. We're here to uh, let the light of Jesus shine down and cause our faithfulness or cause us who have endured through the mundane or it's caused us who are in the miraculous. It's all great to our Father who loves us and he loves us and he has given us these experiences because he loves and cares for us.